0: All right, so we are in Mark chapter 4, and what we've been seeing so far in the book of Mark is Jesus Christ. He is going around doing his ministry, doing miracles, and his popularity is growing. He's got multitudes just thronging him. People are following him everywhere, and who isn't going to follow the guy who's doing miracles? But the problem that he's starting to have is, one, uh, a lot of these people, they're not getting the spiritual message, which is what he really wanted them to get across. And the Pharisees, and they're all starting to get bent out of shape because they're seeing competition. They're seeing the popularity of Jesus grow. They were envious about this, and they were jealous. And so they start, you know, they're plotting against him. And so here in chapter 4, we see Jesus trying to teach a very spiritual message because these people just aren't getting it. And it's very important that they get the spiritual message. That's far more important than any physical thing that you can get. Everybody wants the physical healing, but you know what? Even if you you can get healed from an incurable sickness, you're still going to die of something else later on. But you get your sins cleansed, you get saved, you're good for eternity. And that's ultimately what Jesus was here for. And so let's start reading in verse 1. It says, and he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100. And he said to them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So this phrase, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. What does that mean? Because pretty much everybody has ears, right? Unless they got cut off or something like that. So why is he saying, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, this is something that Jesus would say when the message he's about to give is spiritual. Because I'm sure everybody in that crowd had ears, but not everyone in that crowd was ready to hear or ready to receive what Jesus had to say. And this is the same thing too when we go out winning. Most people that we talk to, that we interact with, they're not ready to hear anything. They see you there. They're annoyed. They don't want to talk to you. They're they're just not going to listen. They're not ready to hear what you have to say. And you know, we don't bother those people. We move on. We go to the next place. What are we doing? We're looking for those who have ears to hear. We're looking for that person that wants to listen, because we believe if they listen, there's a very good chance that they will get saved. But Jesus, so uh, Jesus says this phrase a lot in the Bible, because he's about to give a spiritual message. And it's very important with parables. Let me just kind of hit this side note or chase a little rabbit here. When it comes to parables, again, you got to be careful forming doctrine around parables. Now, if you are, if your doctrine that you are forming around a parable is specifically what that parable was talking about, then I think you're pretty safe. But often people will uh, take a principle or something used in a parable and they'll start applying it other places. And then they kind of get out of line, and they end up taking uh, doctrines overboard. And we we want to be careful with that. And so we might talk about a little bit of that, of that as we go through this. But this is a very famous parable of the seed and the sower is what it's known as. And so uh, let's go ahead and read a few more verses before we go into the interpretation of it. And so it says, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable, And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Now this right here is a great passage that should help us understand the reprobate doctrine. Because think about this. The Bible is actually very, very clear about two things. And that one is, whosoever will may come. The Bible's very clear about that. Okay, The Calvinists are wrong. Whosoever will may come. Anybody who wants to can come. But you know what else the Bible is very clear about? Some have been rejected. So let me ask you, how do these two doctrines harmonize? Because you know what, they do harmonize. And a lot of people... They just want to stick to the whosoever will thing, and then they just reject very clear scripture. You know, they'll they'll say things like, you know, it's never too late, even though even in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, you got verses like, He that be an often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. We see many examples of the place where there was no place of repentance for people, and where it's God that gives that place or that opportunity of repentance, and a lot of people, they ignore all those verses. They ignore you know, Romans chapter one, they, they ignore so many things. And the truth is these two things actually go together. Perfect. And so, uh, but the thing is the reason for that, okay. The way these harmonize is when you understand that the gospel, it is, it's a spiritual message. The gospel is not just about you verbally accepting a certain set of facts, If you're a Ruckmanite, you can learn the fact that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can learn the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's the only Savior. He's the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. You can learn the facts of all of those things. But if you don't understand it, if you haven't internalized it, if you don't understand it spiritually, it won't do you any good. You've got to actually believe it. And you know, nobody can get saved without the help of the Holy Spirit. Nobody can. The Holy Spirit has to be there, has to be a part of it. So the God gave this message that is spiritual and he did it so those who refuse to have faith and those who reject him will not get it. They will not understand it because some things aren't for everybody. And that's why Jesus often spoke in parables. Jesus, and only Jesus was able to do something like that where he can speak something and say something that only saved people are going to get. We see that the very word of God, Jesus said, "My words, they are spirit." And so that is something that separates the Bible from all other books is the words in there are spiritual. So anybody who has eyes and knows how to read can read the scripture. Anyone who has physical ears They could hear what's being stated from the scriptures, but in order to internalize it, in order to understand it, you got to have the spiritual eyes. You got to have the spiritual ears. And if you're not willing to have faith, if you're not willing to believe on Christ, then you know what? You're not going to get it. And that's why there's some people that just can't get what we preach. They just can't get it. And it's not even so much that they're dumb or anything like that, but if they refuse to have faith, if they refuse to believe on Christ first. If they refuse to accept the salvation as a free gift, then they're just, they're never going to get these things. And you know, and that's why we often feel like we're just beating our head against the wall. It's like, why can't these people see this? You know why they can't see it? Because it's spiritual. And it may very well be that it has been hidden from them because God doesn't want them to know it because they've been rejected. And the truth is, Say, you take the most filthy Sodomite you know out there, if they're a reprobate, it, yes, if they got saved, if they would, if they believed on Christ, they would be saved. If they believed on Christ, if they came to him, they would be saved. So you know what? God does, If God's rejected them, they're not going to get that aid of the Holy Spirit. They're not going to get that understanding. Therefore, it's never going to do anything for them because God doesn't want it to. Here we have a good example of that right there where it's just laid out that that is why I'm speaking to you in this way because this is for you to know and it's not for them. Because if they get it, they'll believe and be converted. And obviously God didn't want that. So I don't know what people who you know deny this do with that passage, but I think it's very clear. So verse 13 says, and he said unto them, know ye not this parable? How then will ye know all parables? Because we have, the disciples and some people that stayed with Jesus that were with the disciples that didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus just said in this parable. And Jesus thought that this was something that they should have understood. He's like, how how aren't you getting this? But you know why they they didn't get it is because they struggled with faith. And even if you're saved, if you're somebody who doesn't have a lot of faith, there's a lot of things you're not gonna understand. And you've gotta have faith. So let's go ahead and look at the interpretation because Jesus tells us, the interpretation, he flat out interprets this parable for us, yet a lot of people still get this parable wrong, which is pretty amazing, which is maybe it's because they're just not real spiritual. But Jesus tells us what this parable means. So he says in verse 14, the sower uh, soweth the word, okay? The sower soweth the word. Now, who is the sower? Well, on one hand, you could say the sower is the Holy Spirit. Okay, wait a minute. I thought it was a soul winner. Well, that's right, too, because the Holy Spirit doesn't just go out by himself. He uses us, he uses the Word of God, he uses a preacher who preaches the Word of God. So when you go out soul winning, when you go out giving somebody the gospel, if you don't have the Holy Spirit with you, you're not going to get a thing done, you're not going to accomplish anything. And that's why it's a good thing to arm yourself with the scriptures. That's why you want to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's why you want to go and not just tell them your story, not just go and talk about the weather and make them feel good and all that stuff. No, you know what you need to do? You need to start preaching the Bible to them. You need to start sowing the word of God. You need to start giving scriptures to them. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit is going to be a part of that. And if this you know, very well could, hopefully produce some fruit and see some people saved. So the sower is the Holy Spirit. And he said, and, and I like to say the, whole, or the Holy Spirit slash soul winner. I don't like to say it's just the soul winner because you can have a soul winner go out and not have the Holy Spirit, and they but they won't get a thing done. But, the whole, but at the same time too, the Holy Spirit's not going to get anything done without the word of God, without the soul winner. Okay, And that Bible's not just going to go fly out of your house and get to people on its own. You've got to go out there, and you've got to tell people. You've got to go and hit the streets. So verse 15 says, And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And we know that happens all the time, where people, they let us give them the gospel, and they physically hear what we say, but it it doesn't set. You know, it's it, that seed. It's got to set for a while, and it's got to eventually do what it does, and that takes some time. And some people, they just immediately forget it. They get distracted. They change. Their, you know, something happens, and they just they lose what was sown in their heart. And so there's there's a lot of ways that Satan does this kind of thing. Problems in life, maybe even two false gospels. There's a lot of people out there. You know, they're ready to listen, but a lot of times they go and then they. You know, here they'll listen to somebody else, and then they get they get confused on things. You know, tragedies. I had a guy one time I was really witnessing to. He's a coworker. I've been witnessing him like crazy. He allowed me and my wife to come over and give the gospel to him and his wife. It seemed like they were that close to getting saved, and they did not get saved that day, unfortunately. And I, but I remember thinking, you know, we're gonna get him. We're gonna get him. And then. He ended up having a tragedy in his family not long after that, and he kind of got back on drugs, and then he had an accident at work. I got drug tested, failed, got fired, and I tried going and visiting him a couple times, and he just was all messed up and didn't want to talk. And it was just like, you know, the Word was sowed. The Holy Spirit was there, but there's no doubt in my mind, Satan came along, and he took what was sown away, and he never got saved. Nothing nothing ever happened as a result of that. And that that's what I think happened. You know, there could be some seed left and something happened years later. I don't know about it. I don't know whatever happened to this guy. I, I hope and pray he gets saved someday, but it, it's very possible he might not ever get saved. And so verse 16 says, and these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time, afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Now, it's really important that we get this one here because uh, we need to remember, too, why we often take this and apply this to individuals, which is okay, which I, I believe is right to do. We've got to understand, too, that uh, let's we got to think about this original crowd that Jesus is saying this to. These are a people who... Uh, first off, it's Israel, which is where the kingdom was taken from, and we're talking about the kingdom of God. Okay, the, When Jesus went and he did all the preaching that he did, did all the teaching that he did there, performed all these miracles, do we not believe that a lot of people got saved? I mean, yeah, a lot of people got saved, but let me ask you, what good ever really happened in Israel as a result? We see the multitudes having Jesus crucified. We see Israel as a nation, they never really accomplished anything. They ended up getting wiped out 40 years later, didn't they? You know why? Because as a nation, many of they were they were stony ground. And you know what? Israel is literally an area where there's a lot of stony ground out there. And the people there, they heard the word. A lot of people got saved, but because they're on stony ground, they didn't have any root in themselves, they endured for a little while, but then Nothing happened. Does that mean they lost their salvation or does it mean they never reproduced? And this is what we've got to get about this parable here that when you sow seed, the point of sowing seed is so it will multiply. That's why you do it. You don't just put in one seed and hope you get that one seed back. No, you sow that one seed hoping to get more back. You want it to reproduce you know, some 30, 60, some 100 fold. That's what you're looking for. And that's what Israel was supposed to do. But that's not what was going on in Israel. We'll say more about that in a little bit. And so the thing is, there are many people who I believe they get saved, but they're on that stony ground. And you know what? They never reproduce. They don't do anything to help build the kingdom of God. They don't do anything to increase the work that we are doing as Christians. They don't come to church. They don't serve the Lord. They don't go soul winning. And there are there are going to be many, many, many people that are going to stand before God in heaven one day and they are going to have no fruit. They're going to be saved, yet so is by fire. Their works are all going to be burned. And they will not have brought anyone to heaven with them. What a shame that is. But I still believe these people are saved. I don't believe these people lost their salvation. I believe they just never produced any fruit. And so... Um, It says in verse 18, and these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and look at this, and it becometh unfruitful. Doesn't say, this isn't teaching they lost their salvation, but the cares of this world made them unfruitful. They never reproduced. Thank God that they got saved. But we want people to reproduce, and that's why we have church. That's why we're not just soul winners. That's not. That's why we don't just get together once a week or twice a week and just go soul winning. You know what we do? We also have a time where we assemble together, where we teach people to observe all things. That's why we have the Great Commission, where we go into all the world, we preach the gospel to every creature, but we also baptize them. That's and we also teach them to observe all things. You know why? Because we want to train other people to be soul winners too. Okay? And it, you know, it would be easier. It would be a really easy ministry to just soul win. Now, there's a lot of people out there that's like that's all they want to do. They just want to go soul winning. They don't want to go to church. You know how nice that would be? I mean, you don't have to put up with you know the drama and just junk and the heartbreak and all the things you have to deal with with people. You know, with your brothers and sisters. And it's funny too, a lot of these people that are like hardcore soul winners and will not go to church, they're also the same ones online. They just don't get along with anybody. They don't know how to be a good brother and sister in Christ. They don't even really love the brethren half the time. I always wonder about people that are all anxious to go soul winning, but they don't want to have anything to do with church. There's something really weird about that. There's a major imbalance there. And the thing is, I'm glad you go soul winning. But we want to try to produce more soul winners because no matter how hard I try, I will never reach the however many billion people we have in this world. So you know what I need to do? I need to try to raise up another soul winner too. I need to try to encourage other ones. And so that's why we have church where we teach all these things. And we do, we want people to be, because we want people to be fruitful. So this passage makes it very clear. This is about producing fruit. So many people get saved and never reproduce. But again, if we're trying to build a kingdom and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, then we need people reproducing. We need multiplication. So verse 20 says, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30 fold, some 60 and some So those on good ground, they don't just keep their seed, but they go on to multiply. And this is what God wants from everybody who gets saved. And imagine if everyone who got saved multiplied and reached somebody. You know, we've all heard the each one reach one idea. If, If every saved person won one person to Christ every year, and then just one, not even 30, 60, or 100 fold, just one. And then those people all led, one, it wouldn't take that long before the whole world's getting saved. But unfortunately, many, many, many saved people are just completely unfruitful. So it is something, you know, we need to make sure, you know, we're at least doing our part, that we're reproducing. So again, ultimately, I do believe that this parable though is directed at Israel who had the word of God sown to them, yet they as a nation, were failing to produce anything reproduce anything. In fact, we see that they were actually shutting up the kingdom of God. It says in Mark eleven, verse thirteen, and seeing a fig tree afar off and having leaves he came, if haply he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it, and then later they come back and that tree was dead. It was completely dead, and many people would agree, and I I think so, we'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 11. I do believe that tree was a picture of Israel because Jesus was upset with them because of the fact they weren't reproducing anything. In fact, they were shutting up the kingdom of heaven. And so uh it says in Matthew 21, 42, Jesus saith unto them, did he never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Israel they're shutting up the kingdom of God. They're not letting people go in because they're telling them, you've got to keep all these laws. you got to do all these works. They're not letting people in. And so God says, I'm taking the kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to another nation that's bringing forth fruits, one that's multiplying, one that is reproducing something. So uh, I do think that while we can make application as individual soul winners, in our life with this parable, I think we need to make sure, though, we understand. Ultimately, this is directed at Israel, who is not producing anything, and that God was not God was not pleased with that at all. So, uh, verse twenty-one, Mark four says, "And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel, or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad." If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. The gospel or the word of God, it was something that was meant to be shared, not concealed. They were not supposed to conceal it. That's what the Jews were doing. They were shutting people out of the kingdom of God. They weren't letting people hear these things. They weren't offering hope to the world. And what's crazy about this too, we see all, there's all, I I didn't mark them down, but in the book of Jeremiah, there's all kinds of prophecy about how Jesus Christ was going to come and to him would the Gentiles seek. There was all these prophecies about God going to the Gentiles, yet we see the Jews doing everything they can to exclude the Gentiles. We even see them doing everything they can to exclude the Samaritans that were related to them. They didn't even want to have anything to do with these people, and God had given them that word, not so they could conceal it and so they could just keep it for themselves. You know what they were supposed to be doing? They were supposed to be sharing it. And thank God, there were a group of people that did get saved and were obedient to God after the resurrection of Christ and went and spread out throughout the world and told the whole world about the gospel. And now we've got, you know, there's Christians, there's saved people all over this world in every country. We've got churches all over this world, where we're able to go and tell everybody how to be saved. And you know what? We do believe whosoever will may come. And we're gonna try to tell everyone we can about this. And we don't exclude people, especially we don't exclude people because of what country they come from or what race they are. We don't do that, okay? We're that other nation bringing forth those fruits, unlike the nation of Israel. And that's why we have the kingdom, folks. Israel doesn't have the kingdom. We have it. It has been taken from them and it has been given to us. We are the ones that are expanding the kingdom of God. We are the ones that are making it grow today. We as Christians, as the church. So uh verse 24, and he said unto them, take heed what ye hear with what measure ye meet. It shall be measured to you and unto you that hear shall more be given for he that hath, to him shall be given, and he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So we've got Israel, who, I mean, unto them were committed the oracles of God. God gave them everything. God did all these miracles. God sent the prophets to them. God sent Israel, John the Baptist. Jesus Christ was born of Israel. He said he gives the gospel to Israel. They have been given all this, and you know what? They did nothing with it. So you know what God did? He took it away from them. He took away what they had, and it went to another nation. This is great evidence of replacement theology right here. This is what we believe. This is what we teach. Jesus said it was going to happen because everyone will admit, I mean, even uh, the most dispensational Zionist that you know will tell you in the last 2,000 years what has Israel done to advance the kingdom of God. Well, I believe the Apostle Paul said, they are enemies for the gospel's sake. They have been enemies of the gospel. And so, why would they have the kingdom after all God gave them? They'll get up and they'll talk about how you know, you know, it was the Jews that wrote the Bible. It was the Jew, it was Jewish prophets, it was a Jewish Messiah. It was Jewish this, Jewish that. That's right. That's right. Look at all that they were given and they did nothing with it. And God took it away from them just like Jesus said he would. So, uh, these, these are things that they need to an answer for, and they never do, and I'm not holding my breath to see how they're gonna respond to any of these things, because they just, uh, it's, it's very, very clear. So verse 26 says, And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now, what do you all think that might be a picture of right there? Anybody think of a place where there's an angel with the sickle? The rapture, and there's that gathering of the elect. There's that gathering of the wheat. But you know what? There's also another angel with the sickle, and that's the gathering of the tares. There's that gathering of those that are cast in the uh, winepress of the, ra- uh, the wrath of God. And so I believe right here, what we're seeing in this parable is that one of these days when the kingdom is complete, Jesus is going to come and gather us up. Now here, you know, and, and this has been debated for the last 2000 years, and I'm not going to pretend I know all the answers on this, but you know, when will that kingdom be complete? You know, what is God looking for? Is it a certain number? You know, is, is God wanting to get like a certain number of people saved? Do we got to get a certain percentage of the earth saved? I mean, you know, what is it? What criteria is God looking for? You know, I kind of wish we knew exactly so we could try to make it happen. <laughs> but at the same time, we don't know, do we? You know, I, I really don't know for sure what that is. I just know that God knows. And whenever it is complete, whenever it's done, you know what? Jesus Christ is going to gather us up. There is going to be a gathering, and that's what we're all waiting for. We are uh, waiting for that coming of the Lord and our gathering together unto him, like it's talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so I think this is a very clear uh, rapture passage that we're seeing right here. So verse 30 says, And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, Which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow. Remember this, all these chapters, everything in it's going together. And when we, when we tie everything in together, it helps us understand all the difficult passages in here. So basically what this is talking about, the greatest kingdom that there ever will be. That kingdom, that, that stone that's cut out without hands that hits the feet of the image of that, of that Antichrist and then it grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth. That kingdom that represents the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You know what? Right now, our kingdom, physically speaking, is absolutely nothing, isn't it? I mean, how much, I mean, we, we don't even have any control over rock faults. In fact, the kingdom of Christ has constantly been persecuted and attacked on this earth, hasn't it? We have no commission. We have no mandate from God to go and take over the government and to like physically possess this world. We, we don't have that. In fact, the Bible tells us we're strangers and pilgrims on this earth. So physically speaking, militarily speaking, when it comes to earthly authority, speaking on that matter, you realize that we are almost Nothing on this earth. I mean, we are, um, we are of very little significance. When, you, when the United Nations gets together, how much are they actually talking about us and real Christians and what we even think about things? When our United States governments get together, you know how, how much attention are they even paying to us and what we think and what we say? They're not paying any attention to us at all. If they are paying attention to us it's because they're slamming us and accused us of being racist, bigoted, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, we have we have no power on this earth, but we're like that grain of a mustard seed that one of these days, we're like the least of seeds. There's like really nothing there, earthly speaking, but one of these days, we're gonna be a kingdom that fills this entire earth. One of these days, folks, we're taking over. One of these days, we're taking over, and you know what, well, when, when's that gonna be? We'll know, because Jesus will be here when that happens. We will be following him, and I'm looking forward to that day. And so I believe that's what this is talking about, right here, this greatest kingdom that will ever come, it's going to come from the smallest of people that never really had a kingdom. You know, Israel, they had a kingdom for a while, didn't they? But we as Christians, we've never had one. You know, we—you know as Christians, we believe in the death penalty so strongly, but you know what, how many people have we ever got to execute? Zero. Everybody gets so bent out of shape because, you know, we believe in execution, but yet we've executed zero People, zero. In, in, in the name of the church. Now I get it. There's been governments before or there's been religions before who have taken over governments like the Catholic church, even in the United States before, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, uh, broke off from England. You know, you did have the Puritans and people that came over here that brought a lot of their Catholic teaching with them and they tried to run government and they killed people. In the name of the church but folks that wasn't the true church that was not right that was not biblical real true bible believing christians it was the baptists in early america that stood up for religious freedom and they were against the state religion and you know why because they understood the fact that our kingdom is not of this world we're just strangers and pilgrims and so i will say while there have been churches that have executed people and religions when it comes to Baptists, we've not done it. And if you ever find any example, one that did, it was probably one weirdo rogue church out there that just happened to call themselves Baptists. But you know, as a group or anything like that, the only thing I've ever even, I, I looked it up one time to see if there's any examples of Baptists ever like killing people. And I found one story online somewhere, and I don't even know if it's true, where there was like a Baptist group that were going after some of the Mormons in the United States some years back when they were growing and they, they might have taken care of some Mormons. that wasn't right. that wasn't the way to do it and it was like it was like one church, one time in American history. That's all I know of there There might be more, but they were wrong if they did. They were wrong if they did that. so we are we are nothing when it comes to authority that this world has, but one of these days, we will be in charge. One of these days we will have all of it. And I'm looking forward to that. So, verse 33, and with many such parables spake he the word unto them, and they were, as they were able to hear it, but without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. So, these parables, they're easy for us, easier for us to understand now, because the New Testament has revealed what these parables mean. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. Inside us, but back then it would have been a lot more difficult. Especially too when they had a completely different mindset. They had a more earthly mindset where they're when they're thinking of the kingdom of God, they're thinking about physical Israel basically taking over the world. They're thinking about physical Israel finally defeating the Romans and them getting to kill all the people that they want to kill. And which was pretty much everybody. But you know, so they because they had that mindset, it was really hard for them to wrap their mind around these things, but it's very easy for us to understand because we've been living this, historically speaking, for the last 2,000 years. We understand we don't have an earthly kingdom. So verse 35 says, On the same day when even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. Um, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And when he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him." So another miracle, a major miracle. This miracle is unique to any that Jesus has done so far, where he's literally controlling the weather with the word of his mouth. Now, what's the spiritual significance of that? That's what we're following as we go through all these miracles. What is the spiritual message? Why is that particular story told in this chapter? It's, it, did Mark put this in here because it was just a really cool story? And by the way, it is a really cool story. Or does this also fit in with everything else that we've read, with all these parables that we've seen? And I believe it ties in greatly because again, what have we been talking about? We as a people, all right, as Christians, we have no authority on this earth, do we? Jesus Christ himself, when he was on earth, what was his rank? He had none. In fact, when he did miracles, they're saying, is not this the carpenter's son? You know what that's code for? He's a nobody. You know, we know who all his family is, you know, and they and they, they didn't have any faith. They didn't believe in him because he didn't have any rank. He didn't have any position, no authority, yet here he is going around, and yes, he's doing a lot of miracles, proving he had some authority, but earthly speaking, he had none. And here he is talking about a kingdom. He's talking about this kingdom, one that like this mustard seed, that's the least of all seeds is gonna grow into a tree that's filling the whole earth. So this is coming from a guy with no authority. It would, it's, you know, it would be like if just some random Joe out there in the street just comes and tells you how he's gonna run for president. And it's like, do you have any money? You know, because nobody's going to become president without a whole lot of money, right? You know, do you have some kind of name? You know, he's got like no name recognition. You know, he's got no, you know, he's never had any other title before. He's never been elected mayor anywhere. And all of a sudden he thinks he's going to be president. That's kind of how it is with Jesus. He's talking about this great kingdom, one, two, that they were looking for. Yet Jesus has no power. He has no authority on this earth, so what would make anyone think that what he's talking about is actually gonna come to pass? Well, again, he's trying to get spiritual messages across. This is, he's right now, we're worried about a spiritual kingdom. We're trying to build a spiritual kingdom. And so Jesus Christ, like he would often do, after he would go and he would give some great spiritual truth, after he would talk about how he was able to do some major spiritual miracle, he would prove it by doing some kind of great physical miracle. Jesus told how he could raise people from the dead spiritually, and he proved that by raising people from the dead physically. Jesus is telling people that he is going to uh, build this kingdom, this spiritual kingdom that's going to go over all the world. And so you know what he does? He proves he's got that power and authority by literally controlling the weather. I believe that's why we see this story at this time. Because they say, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Listen, it's one thing to get people to obey you. There's been a lot of crazy psycho people throughout history that have gotten people to obey them and gotten soldiers to obey them because they were able to obtain some kind of power. You know what? I'll say right now, I'm even a little bit scared of the decrepit Joe Biden right now just because of the fact that guy's got a lot of power. And if he wanted to take care of me, he's got the power to do it if he wanted to. And... But at the same time, we see that Jesus Christ who on that on this earth had no rank, he's claiming that he's about to do something bigger never that's ever been done before and he proves he can do it by the fact that he can tell the weather what to do. And let me tell you something about our leaders today. They're not going to fix anything with the weather. Okay? The climate change stuff, they're not, you know, that that's just all a power grab. If our weather needs fixed, and I don't think it does. I wish they, I wish it'd get a little bit warmer, to tell you the truth. But if our weather needs fixed, they can't do it. They can't do it. But Jesus did it. Jesus spoke those words, "Peace be still." We see in one of the other Gospels, and the wind and the sea stopped. And Jesus Christ, you know what? He didn't care about you know. And, and so most of the time when we listen to this story right here you know, we get a ton of preaching on just a lot of principles from it, how, you know, Jesus is asleep, you know, you all just need to learn to chill during the storms. And you know, that's fine. I mean, that's okay to preach a message on that and draw a comparison there. You know, we don't see Jesus panicking during the storm, do we? And, and these are great principles that we can follow, but it's important that we get the main purpose of this miracle the main purpose of this story And that is that Jesus does have control over everything. And so even though, as far as this world's concerned, you know, things look like they're going to the dogs, don't they? It doesn't look like we're getting any closer to a righteous government. You could say that figuratively speaking right now, our government and the governments of this world are in a major storm right now. But let me ask you, is Jesus panicking right now? Is Jesus worried? Is Jesus seeing how all these governments are just coming together against him and thinking, what am I going to do? I'm in trouble when I come back. You know what? Figuratively speaking, yes, we are in a storm right now, and a lot of Christians are panicking right now. But Jesus Christ, he's just kind of asleep on the pillow. He's taking it easy because you know what? As soon as he's ready, as soon as the kingdom is complete, he's going to come. And he's going to set everything in order just like that. And you know what? It will be easy for him because he has all that power. He does have all that authority. He was able to speak the word and the, wet, the the bad weather ceased. And as soon as he comes back, you know what he's going to do? He is going to destroy the works of darkness. He's going to destroy the rulers of this world. The blood is going to flow that day. And Jesus Christ is going to set up his kingdom. And thank God, he's going to use us during that time and everything everything will be okay. So this miracle, this is a special one because Jesus is showing his power in an area where he hadn't shown power yet. They knew he could heal bodies. They knew he could cast out devils, but controlling the weather was unlike anything they'd seen yet. And so maybe this guy can start a kingdom from nothing. Maybe this guy with no uh, rank, with no earthly power, Maybe this guy can become the king of this world and be king of kings and Lord of lords one of these days. He proved it when he calmed the sea just with his words. So this passage is showing Jesus Christ, as far as, as, far as man is concerned, no power or authority. But at the same time, he actually had all power and, and authority and he was preparing for a kingdom for himself, and you know what? Today, we are a part of that. We are supposed to be preparing for that kingdom. We're supposed to be preparing ourselves. We're supposed to be preparing others, and we need to be out there spreading the word. We've got to be out there sowing some seeds. We got to go out there and try to find that good ground. I want one of the reasons we want to have a church in Rock Falls, and I want to have a church anywhere. You know what? Because we're trying to make a place where there's some good ground. We want a place where if somebody does get saved, they can get away from all the junk and the filth of this world and have a place where they can get around some good fellowship and with other people that love the Lord so they can actually grow and they can actually learn and then become fruitful themselves. That's why it's important that we get a church set up wherever we can so we can prepare the ground. And I want Rock Falls to be an area that's good ground. I want Rock Falls to be a town where people can come and they can learn, they can grow, and they can become fruitful Christians. And, you know, and, and the thing is, if all you do as a soul winner is just soul win, I mean, you know, thank God for people getting saved, but we're all, you know, we want to multiply. We want to reproduce more soul winners. And you know what we've got to do? We've got to prepare. you got to prepare the ground in your area, and that's why you need a church. That's why you need a church. So these are great principles that we see here, and we need to keep this mindset, the building of Christ's kingdom. Let's not just try to build a kingdom for Liberty Baptist Church. Let's not make this about us. You know what? Thank God for people that we get saved in other towns that probably aren't going to come to this church. You know why? Because they're a part of the kingdom of God. You know, I'm fine. I don't, you know, going and soul for other churches and helping them. You know, I prefer to soul in places where there is a good church because I like to... You know, I I like to sow my seed where I think there's some good ground where if people do get saved, they've got a chance to go and grow and become fruitful. I'll still go places where they don't, because at least these people are here in the gospel. At least they're having a chance to get saved and they've got a chance to escape hell. You know, I, I'll I'll go there too. We're gonna go everywhere, we're gonna go into all the world. But I do like the good ground because I want to see soul owners reproduced. And so Let's make sure we do our part as a church and as individuals to multiply and advance the kingdom of God. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons it gives. Lord, thank you for just these, these wonderful examples of miracles that you did and uh, for the lessons that they teach us. And I pray, Lord, we'll take these things and it'll motivate us to just get out there and to do something, Lord, to tell people about uh, the gospel and to try to get people into church and help them become good fruitful Christians so we can just reproduce and see many people saved uh, before you return In your name we pray amen